Welcome to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast, a show dedicated to Japanese tea. Hosted by tea blogger Ricardo Caicedo. Hello, tea lovers, and welcome to another episode of my Japanese Green Tea Podcast. Today we'll talk about cooking with tea. I'm very excited about this podcast. And we have a chef with us today, Robert Wemischner. Hi, Robert. Thank you for joining Hello. the show. Hello. Nice to be here. So are you working as a chef right now or, or what are you working on? Yes, I actually, I teach pastry and baking in a community college in Los Angeles, and that's a full-time job, although it's only eight months a year and uh, four days a week, but it um, it keeps me very involved in the world of food and education and connected to other chefs and restaurant owners, uh, and, and oftentimes uh, finding people who are very passionate about tea in that process. Uh, and of course, as part of my education, we do tea and pastry and dessert pairings so that I teach the students about flavor profiles and how things go together and how drinking a great cup of tea can enhance the pleasure of enjoying a great dessert and vice versa. Can you tell us how did you get into tea? You know, interestingly, I myself uh, graduated uh, many years ago from college, University of Pennsylvania, and I studied Japanese and Asian studies, Oriental studies is what it was called, but my emphasis was really on uh, learning about Japanese culture and the language and art and architecture and literature, and in the process of that was hanging around with a lot of teachers and teaching assistants who, of course, were native Japanese, and their beverage of choice was, at that point, of course, green tea. So so really, my, my beginnings in tea began by uh, uh, appreciating green tea, which I think, in my own opinion, is not the first tea that one might easily, accessibly understand or enjoy, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, looking back on it. Um, I think that it's a very specialized and, and acquired taste, you know, unlike some black teas, um, which I also enjoy and, of course, work with in my cooking with tea. Okay, I see. So you got into tea the same way I did. Yes, isn't that interesting? You you actually got into it from living in Japan. I got into it from studying Japan, you know. And you began the tea class, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, I, I began, uh, well, I, I have done a number of classes teaching others about cooking with tea and pairing tea with food uh, and both sweet and savory. And I've done that at a number of the tea conventions. Of course, we have the World Tea Expo, and I've presented twice there, uh, several times at the Northwest Tea Festival in Seattle. I've done the Los Angeles Tea Festival, the San Francisco International Tea Festival, and then classes otherwise around, you know, in cooking schools and in my own teaching at the school where I teach. As I say, I've done uh, sessions for both my students and also the faculty on campus who are in interested in tea, so lots of educational opportunities. Okay, I understand that, that you also wrote a, a book about it, Cooking with Tea. Yes, I have. I've written actually four books, and that is my third one, uh, which was a book exploring the use of tea in a culinary way for the use in both sweet and savory dishes. Uh, it spoke about, you know, um, sourcing tea, 
as well as, you know, brewing it properly for drinking and brewing it for cooking or introducing tea into foods in different ways. And, and I've identified a number of ways in that book, and I still, of course, do that, which is um, uh, create a liquid, which, um, which is a, in, in a broth, perhaps, uh, a liquid that you would marinate made from tea, you marinate food in. You can use tea leaves as part of a spice rub in which you would, you know, rub them on protein, like let's say chicken or fish, and then cook them in a saute pan, deglazing the pan with tea or another liquid, and then you have a beautiful tea-flavored sauce that results for that protein. Or using the very ancient Chinese technique of smoking food over tea which is a process where you combine tea leaves and other smoking tinder that will burn, and then the smoke that rises is very aromatic, and you contain it within a wok, putting food on a rack inside the wok, and then you are transferring a smoky tea flavor to the food that you wish to smoke. Um, And then I also have discovered that tea is very nice in dairy or fat-based sauces, so you might even infuse tea into butter and then make a cookie out of it, now using that butter as one of the ingredients. Or you might add tea to heavy cream or whipping cream and create a very nice infused sauce used either for a savory dish or you could even sieve out the tea leaves, which you do generally anyhow, and use that flavored cream as the basis for a chocolate sauce or a chocolate truffle, which would be like a candy, or as an icing over a cake. Uh, So these are many different ways that tea can be used and maximize its flavor in a culinary way, each of these offering different opportunities and different kinds of applications. Oh, I see. That's interesting. And when you say tea, you mean you use different types of tea? That's right. I mean, I am using green tea, and typically green tea is a wonderful combination. uh, It makes a great combination with something sweet. So you might use white chocolate is really quite sweet with that beautiful grassy somewhat bitter perhaps even marine flavor as you know being a tea green tea lover and an expert um i like it in that context i also like green tea in a in a uh seafood or you know fish related um a dish. And then uh going beyond green i'm using black teas of course of all kinds from india china Kenya, um, and and using those in both sweet or savory dishes. So, for instance, a Darjeeling from India works beautifully with summer fruits like peaches or nectarines or plums, which I'm using now because this is our summer and we have wonderful stone fruit in California at this moment. Or something like a smoked tea, like a lapsang souchong, could be used with artichokes and salmon, creating a cream sauce from the infusion of the tea leaves with cream and using that as part of the dish. So I'm really very broad and very, very flexible, but, but I have discovered certain teas that work best in certain contexts. Okay. And the book and the book talks about that. And do do you also use matcha, the green tea powder? 
I do use matcha, and matcha, of course, is great um, in a mousse. You can do a dairy-based, you know, sweet, whipped, aerated, very beautiful mousse. Serve that, and I have done this, with a fruit or vegetable that we call rhubarb, which has a really tart flavor. It's wonderful with matcha. Um, matcha can also be, of course, you know, because it is really the only tea that is finely powdered and the only one that really you are eating as you're drinking whatever it is or eating whatever you're eating that's made from it. Because it's so finely pulverized and really dissolves, um, it can be the basis for some excellent quick sauces uh, to go over proteins of different kinds. But we know, of course, that it's gaining popularity around the world as the basis for either a hot latte or, you know, a smoothie or a, you know, whipped up kind of a beverage over ice. You know, all of this works well. Do you also use it for cocktails? You know, I have not experimented with that, but that sounds like a great idea. I mean, certainly you have to discover which cocktails or alcohols go well with it. My instinct is that sake or soju would be possible uh, good partners with matcha. Okay. You mean the, the Asian... Right, Asian liquors. alcohols. You know, yes, I think those would tend to be logical um, uh, pairing um, liquids. Okay, so besides the book... What what work have you done regarding tea? You know, I have done, um, I have my own website, which is under my name, and the other things I've done in general. I mean, I've written three other books, and um, my first book really used ethnic ingredients in unusual ways, and in that there were a few tea-based desserts and dishes. And then my second book was about uh, opening a specialty food store. So that could be a tea store or a pastry shop or a, uh, a you know, a different kind of um, food outlet in some way. And then Cooking with Tea was next. And then the fourth book is a book devoted to plated desserts, which is what I use in my teaching because that's what I'm teaching. I'm teaching people how to create multi-component desserts and how to put them together on plates in a beautiful way for a restaurant or some upscale environment. And, and with that kind of knowledge, when my students go out into the world, you know, to get a job, they are prepared for that kind of work, you know. So, so my, my work, my writing, and my teaching has ranged pretty widely over many different subjects, but, but I've concentrated in the more recent years in teaching pastry and baking and dessert, that sweet side, which is so uh, wonderful, you know, <laughs> that everybody loves. Okay. And why, why did you decide to specialize in pastry? You know, it's something that in my earlier years when I spent time in France, which I did uh, after I graduated from college, I was really entranced with the simplicity and the flavor and the beauty of dessert. And so, you know, I would explore all kinds of places uh, to taste and to, to emulate, to learn from. And I did some apprenticeships in France in my younger years as well, which have, you know, left a permanent mark on my taste and aesthetic, I guess you could say. Um, and I think the combination of the Japanese interest and the French, because they really love each other, the French gain a lot from Japanese aesthetics, and, and the Japanese love all things French, as you probably experienced in Japan, and more and more, um, and now more things American, for that matter, and in France as well, people are loving American things. But 
those Japanese French sort of aesthetics seem to reach out to me and call to me. And I feel that in the dessert world, we're able to um, make use of both of those influences in a beautiful way. Yeah, I remember when I lived in Japan, there were many, all, all these desserts and, and the pastries, the physical location and all, they, they look pretty much French. Yes, that's really true. And, and I think Japanese really have embraced the French pastry chefs and other chefs too. Um, and, and back now, a number of years ago, some of the top French pastry chefs and chocolatiers chose Japan as a market to open in, and that continues to happen more and more, uh, so that it must be that, you know, there, there is the hunger for, you know, what is French in Japan. And, um, And, and that, as I say, is, is a trend that, that started quite a number of years ago, but continues pretty much unabated to the present day. Are you also into chocolate? Yes, I am. I love chocolate, of course, to eat it, but I also love it to use in combination with tea. And, and so, you know, you can make some beautiful tea-flavored fillings for chocolate. So you can make a bonbon, you know, a small candy, either molded or cut and then dipped in tempered chocolate. But the flavor of tea and chocolate in many cases is, is a wonderful combination. Uh, I love um, Lapsing Suchung, as I said, with a very dark chocolate and then flavored slightly with sesame oil and then encrusted with toasted sesame seeds. So there I am sort of heavily influenced by Asian flavors, both the sesame seeds and the tea. You know. I've seen the, the, the pairing of chocolate and, and tea and maybe even cheese and tea. Yes. It's kind of popular. Do, do you yes. use the, the same reasoning when you cook, like for the pairing of the flavors? Yes. You know, I mean, I, I taste the tea on its own. I taste the main elements of a dish on their own and then decide, you know, where, what, where the resonances are, you know, how these ingredients speak to each other. When you mentioned tea and cheese, I have done a number of seminars as well at the World Tea Expo and elsewhere where we found that green tea actually, um, matcha pairs beautifully with some cheeses and particularly uh goat cheese young goat cheese which is quechevra which can be you know milder than the the more aged goat cheeses but it came up as a surprise to me in one of my recent tasting um exercises which i then presented to the audience that green tea and, and in particular matcha was the winning combination of all the pairings we did you know uh which was a great um surprise not in terms of the fact that i wouldn't like matcha with something but i was also doing other pairings that i thought might be more more harmonious and in fact the matcha one turned out to be the winner so and the audience as well agreed you know there's a An, an absolute pairing? Like, how do you know if someone's gonna like it as much as you? Right. Well, that's a very good question. I mean, I think that, you know, um, when you, uh, you know, present, let's say, four cheeses, which is what I did in this case and in, in the case of the tea and cheese thing, and four teas and tasted each of the cheeses with each of the teas, you know, so that I went through, obviously, initial process of elimination Uh, to come up with what those four cheeses would be. And in this case, it was, you know, different milk-based. So I had goats and cows and sheep's milk, you know, and then maybe a, a blend of those. So there were four cheeses that way. And then the teas, I would start with a green, an oolong, a black, and then even an aged black, like something like a puer, 
you know, and and tried them with each, you know, crossing over all the permutations to come up with the thing that I felt would work. If a cheese is earthy and and sort of has that, you know, underground mustiness that's pleasant, then I think probably intuitively puer would be the perfect accompaniment. Sometimes you can be very surprised, though, and in fact, what you would expect, you know, um, intuitively to work does not, and it can be the very opposite, which is very interesting to me. So, so in terms of asking if there are absolute pairings, certainly it is a subjective matter of taste um, situation, but um, the audience can agree that the cheese is enhanced, the mellowness comes out of it, some other qualities are beautiful because of having it with the tea, and the tea might take away some of the salinity, the saltiness of the cheese, you know, uh, when you taste them together, because there's a, there's a chemical reaction happening, there's something happening in that, in that pairing, um, that I'm sure could be explained, you know, in a scientific way. I'm not interested in that particularly, but, um, so, you know, that's what it is. So, so you do see enhancements, you know, of, of an item based on having tea with it by itself. It's one thing. And when you have it with the tea and I, I encourage the audience to have the warm tea in their mouth when they are tasting the cheese so that the warmth of the tea is melting the cheese and bringing its flavors out, you know, to, to maximum uh, potential and, and appreciation. And so, you know, it's just a wonderful process. I just think it, it opens people's eyes to the fact that tea is not just a beverage. It's not something that needs to be enjoyed by itself, although that is a wonderful experience. Certainly, I'm not denying that, focusing on it. But when paired with other things, it becomes even that much more pleasurable or complex. When you drink tea, normally what, what What types of tea do you do you do find? I drink? Yeah. yeah, you know, I really love black tea, and so I love Indian Assams. I do like Darjeeling. I do like Nilgiris, which is you know the South Indian, um, quite a, a nice tea that is very forgiving. I mean, doesn't need to be watched as carefully in terms of brewing times, you know, before it becomes undrinkable. And I love Chinese black teas, the kinds like Kimon. Yunnan, these are some of my favorites. Okay, and do you drink them by themselves or always I, pair them? I, no, no, I really do. I drink them by my by themselves. I take you know a cup of tea when I come home from my day at work, and it sort of takes me away from the the stresses and strains of that day. You know, it's sort of a moment of calm and reflection. Uh, maybe that's partially the Japanese influence in me, where I feel like it's a Zen moment. Perhaps it's it's you know it's focusing on nothing but the measurement of the tea the temperature of the water and the time that the leaves are in contact with the water. And so focusing on that is, is really for me, uh, one of the major health benefits of drinking tea. Although I know we, we have uh, lots of research that supports, you know, other health giving properties of tea, uh, to populations that have had it for many, many years and, you know, followed over many years in terms of different kinds of illnesses and prevention of, or at least help to prevent certain Okay, and are you working on, on another book right now? 
you know, I'm actually attempting to get Cooking with Tea, my book, in a revised form out into the world. I don't know where it's going to lead, uh, but I, I feel that it's a subject that has been covered not very much. There are other books that have attempted to in their own style, but uh, mine in 2000, when it came out, was the first. And then after that, a number of years later, there's been more awakening to this idea. Um, but, you know, each of each of the people who have written books have a different sort of goal and style, perhaps. So I think there's room for more of it around as the interest in tea and drinking tea is, seems to be increasing. Now, where you are in, in uh, South America, do you feel that um, tea drinking is on the rise? Do you see a new audience or what do you see trends there? Yeah. It, Just my question back to you. It, it's under, it's like five years lagging behind the U.S., Okay. There's interest, but but it's not the market isn't that much consolidated. Right, I see. And since I live in Colombia, it it's it's not that easy because many coffee drinkers. Yes, it's such a coffee culture. Uh, I I know that I had made contact with a woman in Brazil actually, who in Sao Paulo I believe who was selling tea, and she was very excited about the prospects of bringing it to a larger public there. Uh, so, you know, uh, but I don't know about the other parts of South America. It's a big place. The most advanced ones in terms of tea, how popular tea is, is I think it's Argentina and Chile. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but there also are as an interest in herbal teas in South America. Is that right? I mean, sort of, you know, yerba mate and this kind of thing. Um, yeah, the, there's there's part of the cultural products of right herbal teas. So, so if you're not drinking tea, are you drinking very good coffee in Colombia? You yourself? I mean, I know we we are getting lots of coffee from Colombia, and there's all kinds of micro lots, and there's a lot of interest in coffee in the United States now, as you know, I'm sure. Yeah, but I only drink tea. I don't really like coffee. Okay, I'm a, a traitor to my country. Right, yeah, I guess so, but you're not a tra you're not a traitor to tea, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so what 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 I understood is you're trying to make part two of the same book or just yes, make a well, revised well, edition? Well, I think a revised edition. I mean, there are things that I've learned since 2000 clearly. I would hope I'm moving forward in 15 years. But um uh and and there are things that I like very much that are in that book that still are are very current and fresh and new and unique. But I think there's new directions to go in it and um the notion of pairing with foods was not given a lot of space in the book. I think that should be, you know, creating menus that, that show how tea can be showcased beside food. These are the things I'd be interested in trying to amp up in a revised version. Does that mean that you also see a, like a trend in, in using tea when cooking? Yes, I mean, certainly it's a topic that has never really been sidelined. There, there are chefs all over the country that are using tea as a pour-over. I mean, you know, in very top restaurants, as tea service programs are getting higher, I think that's hand-in-hand -hand with chefs understanding that, uh, you know, there's profit center in serving good tea if you're serving good food. And there's a way to pair those teas for the audience who don't want alcohol with their food, and there are those as well course. So, um, you know, trading caffeine for alcohol <laughs> seems to be a, a, a trend. But, um, but it, it's, it's a perennially 
uh, popular idea. It, it is not an idea that has gone away at all. The, the flavor potential of tea is being recognized in popular magazines, uh, in articles, in newspapers, you know, uh, all the time something pops up, you know, that I see which, which talks about that. So clearly it's an idea that's in the wind. It's something that people really are excited about. I mean, even mainstream you know, publications recognize this, you know, so it's not a, a, um, an elitist or, or arcane or esoteric thing. It's becoming a much more popular, more widely popular idea. Okay. So, so you think that it, it's not going to be like a little fight that's going to go away, but it's going to keep increasing? You know, I do. I, I see it as a constant uh, interest among chefs and food people wishing to learn more about tea. Uh, there, there, you know, there is um, evidence in our country that, you know, even the large chains like Starbucks who bought Tivana, you know, are putting a lot of interest and money on the line to capitalize on what they feel they have studied to be a growing interest. So um, I do feel it's not a fad. I think that it's, it's something that's here to stay. And, and again, even though, you know, the most widely consumed tea tends to be ready to drink in bottles, iced, you know, in the United States, that's at least, you know, a gateway to perhaps a, an, a better appreciation of higher quality teas. And even higher quality teas are being made into iced, ready to drink beverages. So I think there's a, there's a movement uh, to popularize and there's a movement of people happening at the same time who are interested in becoming much more connoisseur level appreciators of it, wishing to learn more. When I do these classes at the World Tea Expo, I mean, I have large crowds of people, which, which is evidence that there is a great interest in wishing to learn more, you know. Um, and, and it is a big subject. It's a pretty complex subject, I'd say. And do you offer those classes for anyone or do it's only at the World Tea Expo? I do it at expos. I've done, you know, a class, for instance, on tea and cheese pairing at a cheese store. You know, I mean, I go to maybe unconventional outlets to do this, you know, in a way. So it's, it's not, you know, it's not offered, you know, um, uh, necessarily at a cooking school other than where I teach, you know, but, but I think there's room for more of that. I just need to fit some more of that into my schedule, you know, and, and reach out to people to sign up for me to do this kind of thing. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I haven't, I mind it all. I'm sure, you know, there's a lot more to, to find. For anyone that, that's starting to cook with you, what, what would you advise? You know, my advice would be, it's a very good question, is start with the teas you love. All right? So if you have a fondness for, you know, an Indian Assam black tea, taste it. You know its taste well. You've had it many times, perhaps. You know, I mean, I have a tea cabinet that has 50 teas in it at any one time. But, but at home, you may have, you know, one or two or three, perhaps, or just one. But whatever that one is, start with that. Learn it. Taste it. Brew it a number of different ways. Get to know its taste profile. And then, you know, in your mind, start thinking about how that might go with something you might have in the house, you know, or if you go to the farmer's market and buy some produce, you know, think of sort of a taste. Taste each ingredient on its own and, and then just take a leap of faith right into the unknown, perhaps, and you might surprise yourself with something very delicious. Uh, but um, a very good way to learn more about this is to check out um, 
a blog that I contribute to on a monthly basis about cooking with tea uh, item and idea that is called T-Ching, T-C-H-I-N-G dot com. Uh, and you will find a, a column written by me, you know, and, and archived. If you look under my name, you'll find four or five years worth on a monthly basis of ideas that would lead you to explore that subject. And also, um, for the people that are listening, I'll include the link in the, in the page. But if they want to check out Robert's website, it's robertwemishner.com and uh, you spell it R-O-B-E-R-T-W-E-M-I-S-C-H-N-E-R.com. That's right. And if you go awesome. over there and go to the, to the tab called books, you'll see all of his books and I, recommend that you check out his book about cooking with tea which can be bought through amazon that's right that's right excellent um, okay robert so i guess we we run out of time but it was yes very good speaking to you great very pleasure to speak to you ricardo as well and i wish glad you we, the, the glad best we found, found each cooking. other yeah yes thank you yeah, and hopefully we, we can do another interview later on right and, and if you come to the states i don't know if you do or not certainly let me know that because i'd love to meet you you know in person Thank you very much, and take care and good luck with your with your tea teachings. Thank you very much, and, and good luck with your your website and all that. So we'll keep <laughs> in touch. Keep in touch. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye now. Bye. We've reached the end of the show. I hope that you like this episode as well. Um, please leave a review in case that you're listening on iTunes, and don't forget that you can access the links mentioned at www.myjapanesegreentea.com/episode25. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to my Japanese green tea podcast. Join us again next time 